As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Before we get started today, listeners, I'm going to take a punt and say that it's likely that some of you are gentlemen of a certain age and you've spent slash wasted several hours of your life playing football manager down the years. But if you wanted to get better at the game, you can join our very own Ian McIntosh, author of the world-famous Football Manager Stole My Life, on Tuesday the 25th of May for the Ultimate Football Manager Masterclass. Sports Interactive's Tom Davidson will deliver a top-level briefing on the secrets of FM21 and then former Rangers Aston Villa and Birmingham manager Alec McLeish will pass on some real-life lessons from his nearly 25 years in real-life management. There are top prizes to be won too, including the opportunity to take on McLeish in a live-streamed winner-takes-all game of FM21. The event is all online and you can get your ticket for only £7 right now over at link.dice.fm slash masterclass that's really catchy so we'll do it one more time link.dice.fm slash masterclass totally football show continental edition it's called europe and it is the final countdown one week to go i'm goal for Lewandowski to break the record Un point between Lille and PSG, uno partido between Atleti and the title, and in Italy, una vecchia signora that hasn't quite given up the ghost. We've got all of that news, plus titles in Turkey and Portugal, and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Here we are with another Totally Football show which you may or may not be listening to, on Tuesday the 18th of May, some point after that anyway, at the start of what is the final week of the season around Europe. I say we, of course, it's the classic lineup. James Horncastle. Hello, James. Julian Laurence. Bonjour. Raphael Honigstein. Mm, hello. And Alvaro Romeo. Hello, James. My word, it's remarkable to get to this late in the season and still have so much to play for titles in two of your leagues and big stuff pretty much everywhere except maybe the Bundesliga but that Lewandowski goal is quite interesting it's exciting yeah I think all around Europe as well you look at sporting uh winning the Liga Nosh um Rangers in in Scotland as well possibly Lille Jules in Liga still Atleti in La Liga so it does feel like it's a a really disrupted season really 
Mm. All right. And right down to the wire. Indeed. All right. Well, we're going to talk about all that stuff, your sportings, or the various big themes of this footballing weekend. But let's begin, of course, with uh, our favourite moments with Paddy Power. James. James, we're going to check into a hotel in Milan on Sunday. Not just you right. and me. This is completely metaphorical. Um, oh. And the Cagliari players are there and they're watching Crotone play Benevento. Crotone already relegated, nothing to play for. And yet they get a point against Benevento, which means that Cagliari stay up. So Cagliari, they're playing against Milan that night and they crack open the beers. They have a few, they celebrate, they toast and everything. And everyone thinks that Milan are going to qualify for the Champions League because all they have to do is beat this Cagliari team that's already on the beach. And there are a few better beaches than the ones in Sardinia. And yet... Cagliari show up, they could have won the game, it's nil-nil, which means that we go into the final weekend of the season with, what, three teams vying Mm. uh, for a Champions League place. Napoli, Juventus, and of course Milan, who go to Atalanta in Bergamo next weekend. Right, and they got a brilliant record in their recent trips there. (laughs) Indeed, they lost (laughs) 5-0. Last last season, they got beaten by Atalanta this season 3-0 as well, didn't they? San Siro. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that incredible three-way battle for the last two Champions League spots in Italy. But in France, Jules, what's your moment of the weekend? Check yourself in a hotel in Lille, right? We're Sunday night. <laughs> We're in <laughs> This now sounds like Alan Partridge. Mm-hmm. Check into a hotel. Not just now, Look. James. Not just now. Yeah, dismantle your Corby trouser press. <laughs> Jules, do, do um, ignore them and, and tell us no, about No, more Lille. seriously. Uh, yeah. 90th minute in the Lille-Saint-Etienne game is still nil-nil. Right. In a game that Lille can afford not to win, not yep. to lose, but not to win, certainly. Although a win will take them even closer to the, the title, uh, the first one in 10 years. And Yazici's free kick is pushed on the post by the young Saint-Etienne goalkeeper, Etienne Green. Do you remember that famous story where Green... Mm. Uh, who was born in England with an f- English father, now plays for Oliver, the Greens in Saint-Étienne, and saved his team and also saved the hopes of PSG for just another week because right now there's just a point between Lille and PSG. It's incredibly tight, isn't it? And him playing for Saint-Étienne, it'd be like someone called Gunnar Arsenal playing for you know, <laughs> exactly. Arsenal. It's the same kind of exactly. thing. All right, looking forward Very to exploring similar. that in, in more detail later on. Rafa? Well, in other nominative determinism uh, news, Robert Lewandowski also scored, oh. James. Wow. He added his 40th of the season, which of course equals the eternal record of what we all thought would be the eternal record of Gerd Müller from 71-72. It was an unspectacular goal, it has to be said. It came from the penalty spot, but the celebrations were quite nice. The Bayern players and staff gave him a guard of honour during the game. I'm not sure the Freiburg player were that happy, but it was such a historic moment with also Lewandowski showing a dedication to Gerd Müller on his T-shirt afterwards that um, it, it felt apt for the moment. And of course, next week he's got a chance to actually beat the record. Mm. Alvaro, what about you? Well... It was a beautiful uh, day in La Liga and my moment of the week has to be Luis Suárez scoring a goal against Osasuna in the 88th minute against the Roquillos that put Atletico back on top. Now they depend on themselves to win the title in the last, uh, in the last uh, day of the, of the competition and well, it was brilliant because for 19 minutes Real Madrid topped the table provisionally until Luis Suárez scored that goal. Right, Luis Suárez who's moved from Barcelona to Atletico Madrid might be the key factor in this year's title race. Barcelona without him, his old club, 
blowing up once again this weekend. They're now definitively out of the title picture. We'll talk about all of that soon enough. But let's begin, Jules, with the Ligue 1 title race that's looking as lit as a French livre. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shot bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Jules, Ligue 1, uh, week to go, and 1 point between Lille and Paris Saint-Germain. As you mentioned at the top, it was right there for Lille last weekend, so what happened? I think they got a bit nervous, James, clearly. This is still a team that is very inexperienced, really, when you look at all, some of the younger, the young players in there. Others, like Jose Font or Brack Hilmaz, have, have experienced, but I think the occasion got to them a, a win could have crowned the champions had PSG not beaten Reims, which very early on looked very unlikely anyway. Right. Because Reims went down to 10 men and, and PSG were very early on uh, in the lead. But still, we expected at least Lille to get the three points and then get even closer to just one point of the title, which they didn't. They didn't create anything. Even Galtier after the game said they were unrecognisable. This this was not my team. Only towards the end with that Yazici free kick and then the Borak Hilmaz uh, hit on the, on the rebound. They, they came. They came quite close to score, but it was it was a very disappointing performance. Where, where I think really the nerves got to them. They still have another chance next week, and and if they win at Angers, then they will be champions anyway, right. regardless of the PSG results. But it was still a bit disappointed. I thought, considering they could have been crowned champions on Sunday night. Absolutely. All right. So one point now. They're at Angers, as you say. They must at least match Paris Saint Germain's result. The PSG are going to be at Brest, who are one of five teams battling the drop on the the final day. They've got Kylian Mbappé, though, back at mm. PSG, and were looking in fantastic form against Reims. They were very good. It helped that Reims went down to 10, as we said, very early on after 15 minutes. But still, there was a lot of fun in the way PSG were playing. They easily should have scored 10 goals. They missed a few, and there was a few good good saves by the keeper. But it was... It was very positive. It's a shame that they didn't do that a bit more in the eight games that they lost so far this season. Mm. But at least they put themselves still with a chance of winning it and hoping that Angers, where PSG struggled to win earlier in the season, for example. Angers, we've got nothing to play for, but almost got a point from Marseille on Sunday night as well. That they can just get a point, just get a draw against Lille. And if PSG win against Brest, then they will be champions. But equally, Lille hoping that Brest are going to pull something out of yeah, this game well. with, uh, with PSG. Brest, who are one of a whole gaggle of teams separated by only a couple of points, who risk with a defeat ending up in the playoff, the relegation playoff position. Have have Lille blown it, do you think, Jules? Have they? I don't think so. I, I just think there's two things. One is that the all week, the build-up towards their game at Angers would be on, oh, they've missed this big opportunity, now PSG are there. Pochettino, I thought, rightly so on Sunday, said, you know, my team has more experience of those kind of games where there's so much at stake than the Lille team, which is true, and same for Galtier as well, as a manager who's never really been in that position. So the pressure is going to build massively from now on to Sunday night, where every right. day we're going to say to Lille players, are you going to do it or are you going to blow it? So it's, it's a huge game and it's a huge week for them. So the pressure on Lille and the pressure on Paris Saint-Germain as well, but of course they're used to that. They don't have any problems dealing with uh, pressure. Uh, they do have a huge <laughs> yeah. game before we even get to the final round of the championship. And that is on Wednesday night when they play Monaco in the Coupe de France. Jules? That's right, James. The start of France is a bit weird, like we had it in England, for example, or even in Germany, that the last game of the season is not 
the cup final, which is usually the way uh, domestically. And it's a bit of a shame, especially when it's, it's sandwiched between two huge games in the league for both teams because Monaco want to keep their third place and Lyon are only a point behind. So Lyon will be able to rest all week when Monaco and PSG mm. play Wednesday and then on Sunday at the weekend. It's a big game for Monaco as well, who beat Rennes on Sunday night and playing well in the first half, struggling in the second half, but grinding out the result, which was really good for them. But it's a huge cup final when you know that Monaco have beaten PSG twice already this season in the league, in the two games they played, uh, and very convincingly at the Parc des Princes as well. So... Big game and for PSG, the risk of having a, a blank season where you don't win anything. With Pochettino coming in midway through the season, how much would that count against him? I, th- I think it, it would be disappointing to have not the cup or not the league title at the end of the season for Pochettino and, and for the players. It's just, it's one of those, Carlo Ancelotti arrived in Paris in, in uh, January 2012. They were top of the table. They were being top at Christmas and they finished second. Six months later, he, lo- he lost the league. Uh, this time Pochettino arrived and they were second and they might still finish second. It's, it's hard to tell. It doesn't mean that he's, he's a bad manager. He will certainly be there next season. I don't think that will add any pressure to his job or anything like that already. But it would be much better for him if in the next week or like seven days, he does the domestic double for sure. Get something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be a really interesting week. Almost as tight as Ligue 1 is La Liga, which we're going to be hearing about very shortly. Next up, though, we're going to drop in on our friends in the Bundesliga. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Julian Brandt am Torwart vorbei und Julian Brandt trifft zum 3-0 für Borussia Dortmund in der 80. Minute. Und damit das macht er den Deckel drauf auf dieses Spiel. Rafa, what a week in Germany. What a week for Borussia Dortmund. Victory in the Pokal. And then this weekend, the win at Mainz to seal a top four spot. Yeah, huge re- week for them. Huge couple of results. The Cup, their first trophy since 2017 when Thomas Tuchel played his last game at Dortmund as a coach. And you could see how much it meant to them. There were wild celebrations. Lukas Piszczek was in tears. It was his uh, farewell after you know years of, of stellar service there. And a real sense of, of togetherness. That This club who's had a difficult season with Lucien Favre and all these things, having a good good ending to it. And of course, finishing fourth, which is now guaranteed after beating Mainz and, and Frankfurt slipping up against Schalke, was, was so, so important. Um, I think it wouldn't necessarily have been the case that they would have had to sell lots of players, but it's much, much easier to sell this project and to keep everybody happy when you're in the Champions League and of course the financial implications are are quite serious as well especially in Corona times so yeah absolutely huge week um, quite ironic that Schalke of all teams helped them in their quest for, for a top four finish and of course with Mainz uh, 
and there's a bit of a special relationship with Mainz because of the Klopp and Tuchel past at that club. It helped them that Mainz actually were safe before going into the game. Um, like Crotone, they were watching Augsburg's game against Hoffenheim on television on Saturday, saw that uh, Augsburg won to save themselves and to effectively save Mainz as well. And they partied quite wildly. And I think maybe one or two players might have still been um, slightly feeling the after effects of that party mm. on Sunday afternoon and uh, helped Dortmund put another really convincing performance with Marco Royce in particular playing really, really well. Okay, Dortmund presumably have been doing a little bit of parting themselves after Thursday night's Pokal victory over uh, RB Leipzig. A very convincing win, 4-1, a brace for Sancho, a brace for Haaland. Brilliant from them. Is there any kind of slight trepidation from Bayern Munich at the way Nagelsmann's results are going at the moment with Leipzig? I think they're winless now since the announcement of the, the move. I think it would have been easier for Nagelsmann to arrive there as a winner, having won his first trophy, as far as the stature is concerned. But there's enough goodwill inside the Bayern team, players who've worked with him, like Serge Gnabry, who really credits Nagelsmann for changing his career uh, when he worked with him at Hoffenheim. Uh, there's Niklas Süle as well. Nagelsmann, it would have been easier for him, I think, in Munich, with that trophy in Tau, but at the same time, there's enough... I think, goodwill towards them in the dressing room to to make it a, a relatively smooth transition in any case. But yeah, I mean, if you will, there is a pattern, and this is something we talked about on the Starcast pod this week, of these sort of lame duck coaches kind of running out of steam towards the end of their tenure. The same happened to Adi Hütter, the same happened to Marco Rosa, of course. Mm. Is it, you know, more than a coincidence? It's It's tough to say. But Terzic, who himself, of course, will will not be the coach at the end uh, of the season any longer. There's still a big question whether he'll become an assistant coach once more and work under Rosa or actually uh, go and be the first team coach somewhere else because he's done so well. That didn't have the same effect. So maybe it's not that easy to, to generalise in this specific case. OK. What would you put Frankfurt's collapse down to? They were seven points clear of Dortmund with seven games to go. Dortmund put together a brilliant run. What is it? Six straight victories. But Frankfurt equally have folded. Yeah, you can say it's it's Adi Hütter leaving, it's Freddy Bobic leaving, it's Bruno Hübner leaving, you know, two of the sporting directors above Hütter have been very, very influential at the club. There's also talk of, you know, the big players leaving. I think Kostic, Frankfurt will do really well to hold on to him. Andre Silva has a lot of people interested in him because he's had a great season and he's technically such a good striker. I'm not surprised that Manchester City have been linked with him because he is, I think, tailor-made for this for this team. Uh, perhaps not an out-and-out superstar, but somebody I think would really, really work in that in that uh, setup. So you have that sense of that club falling, if not apart a little bit, but perhaps having to rebuild itself uh, under new management uh, from top to bottom. At the same time, you can just say, look, uh, Frankfurt finishing fifth or sixth is a tremendous achievement because nobody really, I think, thought this season that they would be able to finish in Europa League places again. Yes, fourth would have been amazing, but have they done so worse now that they miss out by a place or two? I'm not, I'm not sure you can really say that. So they're more or less where they should be and, and perhaps have even overachieved. Okay, Wolfsburg are back in the Champions League for the first time in six years. Two other big talking points to be resolved on the 
on the last day and beyond. One is relegation, where once again this season, Werder Bremen risk going down after 40 years in the top division. It's Arminia, I always pronounce this wrong, Rafa, but indulge me, Bielefeld on 32 points, Werder Bremen on 31, and then Kloon on 30. One will be safe, one goes into a playoff and one goes down with the Schalke. So that's going to be pretty tense. And then the other question is whether Lewandowski can break the record. So 2-2 against Freiburg last weekend. He got a penalty to level it and then he got the game stopped or at least they stopped the game for him and gave him the guard of, of honour and he shows his T-shirt and that. Then he had an absolute sitter to take the record, Rafa. Yeah, it was uh, Chupa Muting-esque really that miss. He was on the line and it bounced off his thigh into the arms of the goalkeeper who just couldn't couldn't quite believe his luck. I mean, there were people saying, you know, this is maybe a nice thing. Maybe it's it's good for the romance if he can't break right. Miller's record, if it's just an e- um, if it's just both of them finishing on, on equal terms. But uh, there's one more thing that needs to be decided, uh, apart from that, by the way, and that is, can Union Berlin hold on to the Europa Conference League place? Ah, which really would be an unbelievable achievement in their second ever Bundesliga season. To finish seventh and to have European football at Alte Försterei is is an amazing story and they're very close to doing it. Brilliant. All right. Well, as for the Lewandowski record attempt, that'll come down to the game at home to Augsburg next Saturday, which will also be, of course, Bayern's final game for now under the tutelage of Hansi Flick. One of a series of goodbyes that we'll be seeing this weekend across Europe. Anyway, some things ending, some new beginnings as well. Next up, let's talk Turkey. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourth-hole hacker lets you down. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. Season and C supply 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Besiktas are the new champions of the Super League. And it was so tight. Oh my goodness. They ended up pipping Galatasaray on goal difference and one goal on the final day. Fenerbahce end up third. They miss out on the Champions League. And Besiktas can now go for the double because they're going to be playing Antalya Spor in the Turkish Cup final on Tuesday. As for Man United's friends, Basak Shahir, who you may recall won the title last year, but then were down in the relegation zone. They ended up 12th. Last weekend also saw the title decided in Portugal Sporting ending a 19-year wait, 19 years of watching Porto and Benfica trading the title between them. We're joined now by the executive editor of Hecord, uh, David Novo. David, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much for the, the invitation. It's, it's uh, a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a historic moment after this long, long wait for, for sporting. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't really cast as favourites at the start of this season, and they've had an incredible campaign. What, what has made them this incredible runaway success story this year? Well, the secrets, the, the explanation, it's, um, I think in the, in the beginning of the season, I think that there was um, um, a factor that, uh, that was uh, really important. Uh, sporting was in the Europa League qualifiers they lost against the last cleans and uh, they um well 
they they stuck to the the, the domestic uh, competitions, the, the championship uh, mostly, and of course the cups, and they had um, more time uh, between games, and I think that of course that helped. But the biggest secret, of course, is um, well, Juan Amorim, of course, the the coach, uh, well made a really good good job uh, assembling a squad that has a really uh, a lot of young players uh, talented uh, players and um, of course when uh, when we see uh, games after games we we saw sporting uh, winning scoring goals uh, uh, suffering not that that money that not that many goals um, so uh, of course um, good players experienced players between the younger players we had a goalkeeper Adan, a Spanish goalkeeper, played in the Real Madrid, Athletic Madrid. Sebastian Coates made, uh, without, without a doubt, his best season in Portugal, uh, the captain, Sebastian Coates. Uh, João Palhinha, also for me, uh, one of the best players of the championship, not only in sporting, but also uh, one of the best players of the championship. Uh, Pedro Gonçalves, goal scorer, the, the offensive midfielder, has 20 goals. In the championship, it's it's a lot for a, for a midfielder. Other players, Nuno Mendes, of course, left back. Uh, I think uh, one of the best also, and uh, a team with uh, with unity, uh, with um, with the players that helped each other, and of course, with the good results, things got even better, um, and they 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 managed to to get until the end. They lost Saturday against Benfica, the first defeat of the of the season. They lost four three, really good game against the, the rival. Uh, but the most important thing was already done uh, to win the championship 19 years uh, after. It's a, a really huge achievement, and uh, of course, uh, I think it's good for the Portuguese football uh, to have uh, again Sporting uh, in the the. The fight for uh, for for the title, so that we can have three big clubs fighting until the end to the to the championship. Absolutely, the extraordinary thing is it comes in what is only uh, Ruben Amorim's second season as a manager. He's what thirty six years of age. No, no yeah. doubt people are calling him special. Yes, um, he started uh, well a lower team. Uh, he went to the, the the secondary team of Braga. And then I think in January last year, he went to the first team of Braga. And then uh, only two months in, in March, he was uh, signing for, uh, for Sporting. Uh, you may recall the 10 million euro, uh, the, one of the, the most expensive coaches in the world. For a coach that had just uh, a few months of, um, of experience. So it was that, a risk. That's what they had to pay to Braga to get him. Yeah, yes, yes. For, for a coach that had uh, a few months. So, of course, there was a risk. But um, Sporting uh, uh, trusted in, in Ruben Amorim. Uh, mainly, uh, not only the president, of course, but because all, in, in, in any club, the, the president, uh, president has the last word. But, world, but uh, as you may know that um, uh, Sporting's... Um, Sporting director Hugo Viena, that played uh, in Newcastle, uh, he's really close to, to Ruben Amorim. They are from the same generation. They know really, really well. 
and uh, it was uh, an idea from uh, mo mostly from from Hugo Viana, of course, with the with the, the agreement of the president, and they, they risk it, it was a risk, of course, um, to to uh, to spend that money with in a coach that uh, hadn't uh, that experience. But uh, well, we are seeing that it was uh, it's a good decision. They won also the Tasa da Liga uh, League Cup. Uh, they won the championship, and of course, uh, they made a season where uh, players uh, developed. And of course, I believe it's going to be a summer a little bit busy for Sporting in terms of sales. Uh, I believe Nuno Mendes, uh, João Palhinha, and other players that may leave um, because they played really well this season. That's, I mean, the classic thing with, with any Portuguese success, I guess, is is it something that can last or is this team going to be broken up? But Amarin and to some extent, the bulk of this team are, are going to be there next year, you think? Well, um, I, of course, Sporting wants to, to, to keep the players, but I'll, I'll give you the example of João Palhinha. Uh, João Palhinha almost left um, in the, the last summer. There were some, some offers from, from Russia that he didn't like. I think that there was, of course, the possibility of Wolverhampton in, in England, but I think that there was not a, an agreement in terms of transfer fee. Um, this season, uh, with the season that he had, I believe that he's going to be called up for the Euro. Um, I believe that it's going to be really, really difficult to keep uh, Jean Paulinho, for example. Um, I think it's, it's going to be also hard to keep Nuno Mendes, uh, there are some reports um, saying that he could leave to Manchester City. Left back, it's a player that can can be a reference in the position in the next um, 10 years, for example. And I think it's going to be hard to keep him. It's difficult. And, and as you said, Portuguese clubs are, are known for, for, for being selling clubs. It's, every year it's the same thing. The good players goes, goes abroad to another uh, leagues, to another countries. So with Sporting, I think it's going to be, happen the same. David Novo of the record. Magnificent. Next up, let's head across the border. Alvaro for La Liga. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
One week to go, title is still undecided. But with about 10 minutes to go last weekend, it looked like Atleti had blown it. Alvaro, 1-0 down to Osasuna. Yes, absolutely, but they didn't at the end. And it was really um, beautiful because I think that the beauty of uh, this current La Liga lies in its imperfection because no team is particularly brilliant. Um, this is definitely not the level uh, in terms of football that La Liga has shown from 2014 until 2018, more or less, when uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico picked together. But it's fun as well because you can see that uh, every team is fighting for every inch of the of the pitch. And Atletico de Madrid managed to get a win that uh, puts them right there. I mean, they just need to uh, better or match what Real Madrid does in the last game against Villarreal to be crowned champions for the first time since 2014. And uh, looking at the big picture, I mean, Atletico de Madrid winning two titles under Simeone, two La Liga titles, could make justice probably to how, how good they have been over the last 10 years. Excellent. They are at uh, Valladolid and Real Madrid have Villarreal, who, of course, are fighting for a Europa League spot and also have the Europa League final coming up the following Wednesday. And in respect of that, the Liga have actually shifted all of this weekend's fixtures, Alvaro. Yes, they have. Uh, basically, the, the games uh, between Atletico and Valladolid and Real Madrid and Villarreal will be played on Saturday late afternoon. Um, at the beginning, or on paper, yesterday, on Sunday, Real Madrid and Villarreal were going to play, to play on Sunday. And uh, Villarreal president was complaining a lot about it because that gave, effectively, Villarreal only three days to prepare the Europa League final. Mm. Um, and the reason that uh, he was given was that uh, La Liga didn't want the Real Madrid-Villarreal game to clash with Eurovision uh, because Eurovision is happening on Saturday evening. Well, at the end, they have found a way, Villarreal-Real Madrid and Atletico Valladolid will be played on Saturday afternoon. Okay. And yeah, uh, what a title race, what a title final as well. Barcelona is out of it, by the way. Uh, yeah. I think that this is big news as well, because uh, for, let's say, two, three weeks, it looked like uh, they had the upper hand, but when they lost against Granada two weeks ago at home, mm. they blew it completely, and they haven't been able to recover from that. So Atletico de Madrid is a team that they have uh, at times looked like drained, um, they looked very affected by the fact that in the Champions League they lost against Chelsea, then they didn't manage to beat Real Madrid at home. And, uh, you know, they, they've been very weak uh, defending their 50-point uh, threshold, what they got at the end of the first half of the season. But all things considered, they have the regrouped the energy from somewhere. I think that some players have stepped up uh, to some levels that no one could have imagined, the, like of, uh, the likes of Marcos Llorente, for example. I said that before. For me, the midfielder of the season in La Liga. Luis Suárez banging almost 20 goals. Yannick uh, mm. Carrasco as well, uh, playing on the left, uh, um, as well as he was playing four or five years ago when he was playing for Monaco or for Atletico before he went to China, you know? So I think that... Uh, Atletico has managed to be there, but the tension has been enormous. I mean, and you can see that uh, in the way Simeone doesn't celebrate, but runs away from the pitch as soon as Atletico wins the game. I think that the tension is there for everyone, but especially for Atletico de Madrid, because at some point it was theirs to lose it more than the rest right. to win it. Okay. As you say, Barcelona completely out of it now. Just one win in five games. Defeat this weekend at home to Celta Viga after Messi had opened up the scoring. Is... Is it too easy to say that Luis Suarez's move, the decision to let him go, take his 19 league goals and the 20 points they've earned for Atleti across to Madrid, is is that the difference? Well, if we can summarise Barcelona's season in a tweet, for example, 
that would be a very valid line, I would say, James, because uh, it works perfectly. I mean, Barcelona gave away pretty much uh, for free a very good striker to a direct rival. And I think that Arturo Vidal's uh, transfer to Inter also follow a little bit that pattern. But of course, maybe it was a little bit... Um, improbable that Barcelona and Inter would meet in the Champions League, but you knew that Luis Suárez and Barcelona were going to meet in the in the league. And uh, the only thing that would have justified Luis Suárez moving to Atletico would have been either a good transfer fee for Barcelona, uh, cashing more than 25 million, or having a top striker in the squad. But the second striker to Luis Suárez was Martin Braithwaite. So, mm. yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, I think Barcelona needed to move on from the Suárez time because it's very difficult to play football uh, in the top European level when two of your players, Messi and Suárez, in the past, they didn't defend or they didn't pressurize the opponent. But if you sell Luis Suárez, it's either you do it well or you have a good plan B. And Barcelona didn't have it. Crikey. All right, well, they're not going to be in the title race, but Real Madrid and Atleti still are. Alvaro, two questions then. One, what bearing could the apparently open secret Zinedine Zidane is leaving Real Madrid at the end of the season, what bearing might that have on this final day of the campaign? That's the first question. I I think that... um this shouldn't affect the players that much. In fact, okay. when Luis Enrique uh, told Barcelona players that he was leaving, two weeks later, Barcelona did the remontada against PSG. Uh, I, I didn't want to get that, to that point again, but uh, we are mm-hmm. always going back in circles. Uh, so I think that this could have even a, an uplifting effect on Real Madrid. Uh, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but Zinedine Incident has said, and he said uh, in the last press conference uh, before the game against, uh, against Athletic Club that uh, sometimes it's time to leave. It's probably very likely that Zinedine Zidane is not going to continue at Real Madrid or he's definitely thinking about his future. And uh, the thing about Zidane, as I always say, I mean, some other people at Real Madrid don't seem to have the key of their future, but Zidane always had it. Mm. He left unilaterally because he wanted to in 2006, even though he could have stayed more. He retired as a player and then he reached the World Cup final. Um, in 2018, he left after the Champions League final when nobody expected that. Then he came back and now he's probably going to leave again on his own. So he has never been sacked from Real Madrid. This is the big, the big uh, conclusion for me, that this is a man who is always in charge of his, his own future. Magnificent stuff. All right, second question. What, what are Spain's prospects like in Eurovision then on Sunday night? Uh, the track uh, from Blas Canto, as you know, Alvaro, is Voyaquedadami. I'm sticking around. I like to translate that as. He's, he's rocking very much a different corner George Michael vibe in the video. He's wearing some white linens and basically crouched on the floor because he's having an emotional moment. I'm not sure if it's quite going to rock the continent. Uh, Jules, what kind of competition will the French be offering? Very good, James. It's called Voila, which is the most nice. cliche name of a song you could ever imagine. Maybe that will get us some points. It's uh, Bar- Barbara Pravi, who sounds oh, yeah. very Italian to me, uh, who's singing yeah. it. It's a All right. OK, in Italy, James. In Italy, it's the winners of the San Remo Music Festival, yep. which Zlatan, Zlatan of course, guest hosted. Yep. So it's it's not Zlatan or Sinisa, oh. um, who who did uh, Vagabondo, didn't they? That was their yeah. that was their song. Sing it is Maneskin. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Maneskin, who were in X Factor in Italy, uh, they won it with what Ziti e Buoni, um, which is kind of it's, shut it's up a, and behave. Shut up and behave, but the the, the, the chorus is. Is, is, is mosh pit mosh pit ready yeah so mm, siamo fuori di testa ma diversi da loro 
All right, so, clip yeah. that up, social media department. Uh, Rafa, <laughs> what are the yeah, Germans up for us? <laughs> the Germans uh, have entered a song called I Don't Feel Hate by an artist called Jendrik. I really don't care that you want to bash me. Do it with fair and I'll let you be. But don't you dare mm, to get angry. But when you realize those words just don't hit me. What? Because I don't feel hate. Yeah, that I was I was not expecting that drop. It, it got better, no? I can't wait for a football club in 10 or 15 years' time to announce a, a collaboration with Yendrick, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, well, that's the real question. So this is happening, Alvaro. Sorry, the Eurovision, where's it being held? Nowhere, I presume. In, is it doing a pan-European? In Rotterdam? In Rotterdam, is it? Well, I look forward to seeing how that pans out. Alvaro? Yeah, one more thing, very quickly. Uh, Eibar got relegated on Sunday uh, for the first time in seven years. This is the first time, in fact, that they got relegated ever in Spanish football because they've ah. been only one time in the Spanish top flight, obviously, and that lasted seven years, from 2014 until 2017. It's been a dream for a really small municipality, 27,000 inhabitants in total for Eibar, a club that, uh, you know, I think that... Uh, they did the switch from the analogical time to the digital times over the last 10, 15 years, playing in the Primera División, improving their structure, getting bigger. And unfortunately for them, this season, they were doomed uh, from mid-March onwards. Uh, I think that the, the manager, Mendilibar, this time wasn't able to get the better of their players, of his players. And yeah, it's a real shame that they were got relegated, uh, but it's been a fantastic journey for a team that uh, was never entitled or never looked like uh, they were going to be playing in Primera División because they are a very small team. Excellent. All right, well, hopefully they'll be bouncing back nice and soon. Next up, let's round up. Today's show with a trip to Syria. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. All right, two rounds of action in Italy since our last show. Midweek, standout result was Milan's 7-0 battering of Torino. But then this weekend, Milan went and drew 0-0 with uh, hotel lounge beer swillers Cagliari, (laughs) while Juventus went out and won the Derby d'Italia with Inter, which really... Puts the cat among the pigeons in terms of that top four race. James, first of all, bizarrest Derby d'Italia in, in, in a while. Yeah, the, the Varby d'Italia in some respects, because we saw a couple of VAR checks. Uh, Giampaolo Calvarese, the referee, he was the only thing worth talking about, really, because there's very little football that ended up playing. It was all down to his decisions. Um, three very soft penalties, a soft sending off. Um, I think ruined the game, really. Um, and... Look, I mean, Juventus played the final 35 minutes with with 10 men because Rodrigo Bentancourt um, was given his marching orders uh, for for no apparent reason. Um, And I think once uh, that um, goal that Calvarez had disallowed and then basically the VAR said, hang on, 
you might want to have another look at that seven minutes from time and he gives it as a Chiellini on goal and it's 2-2. You thought, wow, okay, Juventus not going to be in the Champions League uh, next season. And then Cuadrado, who I think has been their most consistent player this season, goes up the other end, wins himself craftily, a very soft penalty. At this stage, Ronaldo, the penalty taker, had been taken off and bizarre bizarre comments from Pirlo saying, Mm. I think he was happy to be substituted because we were down to 10 men and that would have meant him running around aimlessly. It's a bit of a story actually on on Monday morning about Ronaldo as well in terms of... uh, in the neighbourhood where Ronaldo lives in Turin, in the death of night, there was a there was a truck on which a number of supercars were being loaded onto it, suggesting that he was uh, he was moving them somewhere. Uh, is it indicative that he is moving himself uh, at the end of the season, or is this something that he just does uh, uh, every summer as he relocates uh, from from Turin, or is he just getting those cars serviced? We'll find out, James. But back to the game. Uh, Quadrado coolly dispatches the winning goal. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, I think that really put the cat amongst the pigeons, as you say, because uh, I don't want to take us back into a hotel, James, but that's what I'm going to do. Florence, three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, Napoli, who had beaten uh, Juventus at the Allianz Stadium, looked like they were going to win the league for the first time since the days of Maradona. Uh, instead, they collapsed in Florence. They lost 3-0 and the title race was gone. It felt that Napoli might do that again this time around, chasing Champions League. And instead, they quite gutsily um, pulled out a 2-0 win there under Gattuso. Mm. I think it's six wins in eight games. So they then leapfrog Juventus. And then Milan had the chance to sew up Champions League qualification. All they needed to do um, was beat uh, Cagliari. I think Cagliari had not taken even a point uh, away to, to Milan since 1999. And, in, and yet that is what they did. And they could have taken more were it not for Gigi Donnarumma pulling off a couple of big saves. So Milan seemed to get very nervy towards the end of, of that game. I think they'll get even nervier next week when they have right. to go to bed. Come on. Well, I missed all of that because I'm still back in that hotel in Florence. I don't know why, we, why you took me there. But... Um... <laughs> Anyway, so the situation, as you point out, two places left behind Inter and uh, Atlanta, who have qualified for the Champions League for the third consecutive season. You've got three teams separated by one point. Napoli and Milan are both on 76 points and Juve a point behind them. And one of that lot is going to miss out. Juve essentially need to win at Bologna on the final weekend and hope that either Milan or Napoli lose. And given Milan's record away at Atalanta, the chances of that are good. By the way, if the three teams end up level on points, then it's actually Napoli will miss out because of the uh, the Classifica Avulsa, the kind of head-to-head within the mini the mini league. Uh, what do you think then? Uh, Atalanta taking on Milan, and they've got the Coppa Italia before that on Wednesday with Juventus. Yeah, exactly. So Atalanta, as you mentioned, I mean, it's a bit of a fairy tale that they qualified for the Champions League once, let alone doing it three times in a row. That's transformative, really, for for that club's finances, the stability that it's given them. They got to the Coppa Italia final, what, a couple of years ago? They lost to Lazio. Uh, they're back in it again. Um, they've never won it before. And, you know, they've taken four points from six against Juventus this season. Remember, they mm. beat them in Bergamo on the day the Super League was launched, uh, quite funnily. Um, so this will be the first game that fans will be allowed back uh, in Italy, uh, in Reggio Emilia, the Mappe Stadium, where Sassuolo play. Um, and I suppose, you know, Pirlo has a chance to win a second trophy. But throwing forward to the weekend... 
you know, it, it'll be interesting to, to see what this does for the weekend's games. I mean, if Atalanta win the Coppa Italia, will they be pumped up and motivated for the weekend's game against Milan? I think they will because uh, if you finish second, which is the place that they're in at the moment, it's worth five million more than finishing fourth, which would happen to them if they, they were to lose to Milan, who would leapfrog them. Um, and also they have a chance to, to break their own record points total. So I think one of the really encouraging things that we saw, and we've seen this in the last decade really in, in Italy, that um, teams that are already safe don't really phone it in anymore. Um, they they play hard. So I think yeah, Atlanta already have things to play for. I'm curious about what Napoli get up to against Verona. Verona beat them 3-1 in January. Um, and okay, they've been in free fall since then. Um, but... Yeah, that is a tricky game. I mean, that that's a team that uh, has a very good record uh, against the top six sides under under Ivan Juric. And Juventus have beaten Bologna in Bologna every year for the last four years. So, <laughs> so in some respects, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Juventus were able to uh, get what they need to at least put themselves in a position to qualify uh, right. on Sunday. The midweek game with Atalanta, the Coppa Italia final. Will that will that see a final run out for Gigi Buffon, who's leaving again? I would think so. Um, I mean, he has been their cup goalkeeper. Um, they're actually unbeaten with Buffon in the team so far this season. So, um, you know, no wonder he feels like if they hadn't dropped points uh, when he wasn't in the team, uh, they would still be champions for a 10th straight year. And he can keep on playing. Uh, into his 50s and 60s. There was a great um, video on, I think it was on Instagram or uh, earlier in the week what, with, with that ageing technology, <laughs> which showed him coming out of the training ground at like 75, giving giving an interview about, you know, how he was going to keep playing for another year, um, which, you know, he, he, he said he's going to take a few weeks to decide what he wants to do. He's had lots of offers. I think Atlanta even made him an offer as well. Really? Um, and you know, I would like to see him go down with Palmer, uh, bring them back up. But I think Gigi still believes that um, you know he's he's good enough to play for a top side, a team better than PSG, which was was his last his last experience uh, away right. from Juventus. So. A little bit of shade there, yeah. Gigi, <laughs> Gigi, of course, who debuted at the age of seventeen for Palmer against Milan back in the day. Extraordinary career. Well, that'll be poignant then. Wednesday night, if he does indeed get the field. One of the many goodbyes that, uh, as I mentioned, we're seeing this weekend. They could also feature Pippo Inzaghi's Benevento, who are in a desperate relegation battle. They're three points from safety, three points behind Torino. It could already be over by Tuesday night unless Pippo's brother Simone does Pippo a favour and beats Torino with uh, Lazio, which is the, the kind of one game remaining before the, the weekend's action. If Lazio do beat Torino, and it is still between Torino and Benevento at the weekend, it's going to be a fascinating final set of fixtures <laughs> for those two teams because they're facing each other. Oh, my goodness. That's going to be huge. Uh, Torino coming off two straight defeats, losing, uh, what was it, 7-0 and then 4-0 this weekend. Wow. Yeah, and the Ultras had a word with them uh, after the game. Uh, this This... Relegation tiebreaker, if you want to call it that, if it comes to that, um, will take place at the Stadio Grande Torino. And of course, Benevento, they've only won twice in 2021. And one of those wins was in Turin. It came against Juventus. So let's see. And there was some other news as well. I mean, Rafa mentioned how in the Bundesliga about uh, Union Berlin uh, wanting to get into the Conference League. Well, Sassuolo have a chance of getting into the Conference League. If they beat Lazio on the final day, 
Um, Roma are playing Spezia. And of course, we all know what happens when Roma plays Spezia. They make six substitutions. They lose games by default. It gives Sassuolo a chance to, to qualify for Europe for only the second time in their history. And then Dizerbi will be leaving to go and coach Shakhtar Donetsk. Right, whose former manager, Paolo Fonseca, is another goodbye. He had his last home game as a Roma manager last weekend. It was a good way to go out as well. Yeah, particularly uh, given one of the sticks to beat. Uh, Paul Paolo has been his record in, in the quote-unquote big games. Um, and they won the Rome derby. Um, 2-0 and deservedly so uh, with goals from um, was it Pedro and Mkhitaryan um, so you know it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now obviously Jose Mourinho is watching mm. um, yeah, he was uh, he was wise scouting some of uh, Roma's best young players Calafuric as we all know um, that he'll be promoting and, and backing uh, the likes of Calafuric and Darbo when, when he takes charge in the Eternal City uh, in, uh, in July so um so, yeah, but a, a nice way uh, for Paolo to, to go out, who's a, who's a class act, I'd say. Excellent. And that's where we'll uh, take our leave of you as well for today's edition of the Totally Euro Football Etc. We will, of course, be back next Tuesday to round up all of the final day drama. That's going to be quite a show. Do make sure you join us for that. For now, many thanks to Julien, Alvaro, Rafa and James, a new listener. Have a great week. Catch up with you next time. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.